0: Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today. This is the Indiana Bible College podcast. Learning is certainly not limited to the confines of a classroom. In fact, some of the most memorable lessons in life are learned outside of the four walls of academia. That's why several years ago, IBC created the Ministerial Student Association, so preachers, singers, and missionaries can learn the necessary lessons for successful ministry. This episode is brought to you by the Ministerial Student Association, or MSA. At Indiana Bible College, MSA is designed to fulfill the specific need of the pastor and church. Plainly said, students seek to be a blessing in whatever area they minister while at your church. MSA trips vary from one congregation to the next. They can provide outreach, music, preaching, and teaching seminars. For more information on the Ministerial Student Association or to book a trip to your church, visit www.indianabiblecollege.org forward slash MSA. Today's episode is a little deviation from our standard sermon. It's actually an altar working seminar with Brother Bobby Kilman, the Dean of Biblical Studies, And Brother Jason Gallian, the Dean of Students. This altar working seminar was hosted by the MSA department. It's just one of many outside of the classroom learning experiences afforded to the Indiana Bible College students. The aim of this seminar is to pass along to the student applicable advice for when they're ministering on MSA trips. Now, we're not always able to share sessions like this that happen on campus, but we hope you enjoy this altar working seminar hosted by the Ministerial Student Association at Indiana Bible College. Uh,
1: I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, two preachers in the same setting or multiple preachers in the same setting or uh, tag team preaching. Uh, and, and some of the dynamics that make that really work. And I know this is preparatory for MSA, but it'll also, uh, the lineup for Mark is very much the same. So uh, some of those dynamics will help you in terms of those types of settings. How many of you have ever seen real tag team preaching? Like where it's not just one following another, but they actually like alternate like two or three times? Oh, you have! That's awesome. That, that is an, uh, a lot of fun. I don't ever hardly see that uh, done much, except for in the development of young ministers. Although, uh, for a youth rally, it makes a fun uh, back and forth. And and usually, you know, they pray and develop the sermon together, kind of talk about, you know, sermon points where they're going to be and what they're going to say. And it's a wonderful way to do that. You have to really trust the person that you're with, because <laughs> it could be really good or bad. Okay, so uh, here, I'm going to give you some. Somebody who has their Bible today. Ah, yes, uh, a grab, 1 Corinthians 14.32. Uh, here, I'm, I'm going to give you, I will resist the urge to tell too many war stories, uh, because Brother Culp, I'm going to try to keep it at 20 minutes or under, and then you can ask questions particularly that uh, you have about these dynamics. I'm going to give you principle number one is respect each other's time. I mean, I know uh, horror stories where uh, the first slot on an MSA uh, they're supposed to go about how long? 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes, and then the next person's supposed to go 20 minutes or so. And there are stories like where a guy went like 40 minutes to tr- because you know he thought he should have been second instead of first, and so he tried to preach over the other guy's term time, and it got really ugly that night <laughs> thank God that was a uh, before my times and so uh, you know uh, check your ego okay uh, there are two two points on that underneath that one God can speak through you okay and and for those of you who have confidence issues around that just work at it and say I, you have to trust that the Lord can speak through you. Second, though, guard that other side of the equation because you can become self-focused in two ways. First of all, man, there's no way God can use me. All right, give that up. That is too self-focused. It's carnal, actually, and fleshly. It's a lack of faith. You're concentrating on yourself too much instead of God and and him, what He wants to accomplish through you. Second, God can use your peers. Okay, So make sure that you know that it's not a hit to let the Lord speak through someone else. Uh, guard your ego, uh, ego rather, in those uh, dynamics. You, I get, you have that open for me? What is it? 1 Corinthians 14.32. What does it say? Mm-hmm. And the spirits of the prophets. And the, everybody say the spirits, the spirits of the prophets, of the prophets are what? Are subject, to the prophets. are subject to the prophets. That means you can help yourself. When your time is done, respect it and sit down. Your anointing stops within the time frame that the, your leadership gave you to operate in. Respect each other's time. Okay, so work really, really hard at that, uh, and and then uh, make sure you get that done. The second thing I'll talk about is um, how to give a a first altar call as opposed to a second altar call. The first one is a what I would call more standing altar call. You can have a call to action without having people come to the front. So if you're the first preacher, you can say like this, something like this. Let's all stand. We have another preacher coming. But let, let me ask you in your own way to respond to uh, what, what you've heard today. And you can give a standing altar call where you have them pray for a few moments, kind of like at. Have you seen the dynamics work at Mark Conference? And occasionally, if you're like in the position of Brother Mooney, like he will do, he says, "Now we've got time today. This we've set aside time on the schedule for this. Let's respond to this." But give the pastor or the leader, whoever's over the conference or the church where you're at, give them the permission to do that. You stay within the boundaries of what you're called to do. Kate? Okay. Uh and then so that means uh uh standing in the pulpit, thank the pastor, and, and and start cooking quickly. Especially on an MSA. Uh I, I trust that the Lord will use you. We've had uh incredible things happen on MSA, MSAs, healings have occurred on MSAs, people have multiple people got the Holy Ghost. I mean, we just had this where are you at Brother Cope, I'm looking for you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so, uh, yeah, so that happens. That's just the constant. So I expect the Lord to do those things, but make sure that you stay within the parameters of what you're supposed to do. Okay, and trust that you and whoever you're paired with, uh, the Lord will uh, use you together. And it would be good to say, you know, something like this. Wasn't that a great word that Brother Colton preached or Brother Dury preached while he was up? I thank the Lord for what I've heard. And, and by the way, you should really be open to listening to the Lord speaking to you through your peers. It's arrogance not to. Remember, I'm going to say it one more time. I think this is the most important thing principle in terms of governing first and second preaching slots is you have to really believe that the Lord can speak through your peers. Now that means that even if you think you can preach better, uh, pride can be hid by false humility and so in and you have to be careful because you know just as a way of in the way of a personal confession i remember when i was a young man here at bible college i would say things in my head i can preach better than them and i'm, I'm ashamed to admit that i said that that's a horrible thing the lord parked me for a year and didn't use me uh, to make sure he got that out of me so that I could be effective in ministry. And you have to trust that the Lord can use your peers, okay? And if you get that together, the two of you working together in a service will be powerful, and there won't be that combative spirit that'll disrupt the anointing of God and what the Lord is trying to
2: accomplish, okay? All right, good. I think that's enough for me. All right, well, I thought Brother Kilman did an amazing job, and uh, as always, and you know, I noticed a pattern in my life as a young preacher that uh, every other time I got up to preach, I did horrible. <laughs> and uh, so I, I just kind of thought, well, you know, I got one good one and then I'm going to do a bad one. I didn't realize it was based upon my pride and arrogance that I thought, I did good. I preached good. And then God kind of set me up to fall flat on my face and I struggled. And so I think humility is the key just knowing that whatever good that I say comes from God and not my time of preparation. So uh, be mindful of that. I'll talk about etiquette a little bit. Um, uh, Thad mentioned something to me right before I got up. I didn't know I was talking about etiquette. Uh, I thought I was talking about altar call. And, uh, but if you want to, um, not to plug this, but I, I teach a Pentecostal evangelist class. And this is what we talk about from start to finish. We'll cover everything that you should and should not do when it comes to a, an evangelist that's going to step into someone else's pulpit. Uh, the, the very first thing is you will never go wrong. Number one, with respect, respect. It doesn't matter what size the church. Doesn't matter if they have a, a children's ministry, a youth ministry. Doesn't matter if they have a nice building. Doesn't matter if they have no building. That man of God is a man of God, and you respect him. doesn't matter if your viewpoints are different or contrary to him. You're there. Here's what you're there to do. You're not there to save people necessarily. You're there to preach a word from God. You're there to strengthen the pastor's hand you're there to support the ministry that's there that's what you're there to do Um, they didn't bring you in to have a thousand soul revival they brought you in to edify uplift and encourage and that means not just the saints but the pastor his wife and his children probably the greatest thing that you could do is to connect with the kids of the pastor you you love them you support them, you connect with them because they're living in a glass house and they're, being, they're expected to live a lifestyle, they're expected to live at a level that all the other kids in the entire church are not expected to live at. So connect with them, give honor. Write the pastor's name down. Ask him if you don't know how he pronounces it, how do you pronounce your name? Ask him how to do it, write it down. When you walk up to that pulpit, you get their name right. Uh, You thank them for this opportunity. Uh, Let me just say this. As a pastor, there's one sacred place in that church, and it's not the altar. It's this desk right here. Uh, The greatest asset the pastor has is those people that are sitting out in front of you. The greatest investment that pastor has are the saints. You have not spent time, money, energy investing in those people that pastor has so when you get up to preach you need to realize these are not mine this doesn't belong to me and i have nothing invested in them like this man right here has so when you open up to address his congregation you handle them like they're the most precious delicate little snowflakes that you've ever held in your hand and i mean that lovingly in a kind way because that pastor has spent hours. You don't, you don't know the blood, sweat, and tears he's been put into that. And if you start doing things that offends people or hurts people, you know who you're hurting? You're hurting that man that's sitting behind you. That's who you're hurting. You're hurting that pastor's wife. You're hurting the kids that are there. You're not helping anyone. So as a young preacher, be careful what you say. Let me just say this etiquette. You can't say things that Brother Mooney can say. You can't say things that Brother Kilman can say. You don't have any business preaching ideas and thoughts in an aggressive manner like they would address ideas and thoughts in an aggressive manner. You know why? Because you don't have a clue. I'm sorry. I I mean, there's great preachers in this room. You You guys are going to do incredible things for God, I have no doubt. But you haven't lived it, you haven't experienced it, and you haven't had enough water under that bridge to walk in and address certain topics to that congregation. That's just the reality of it so you have to be careful how you come across that's proper etiquette that's proper etiquette so you're there not to reprimand if you're gonna get up and preach on prayer and start beating these people up for not praying enough that's that's on you and you'll never be back now you can preach on prayer and inspire them and lift them up and get them to the place that man we are ready to pray we're we're gonna take it by storm and that's that's the type of preaching that pastors they have confidence and I'll have them back it's not all about coming back but you want to make sure that you leave a positive impact on that church and so you thank them for allowing you to be here you acknowledge them and then you acknowledge every ministry in the building I think that's a good thing so if you know there's guest pastors there or if there's assistant pastors there a youth pastor there you acknowledge them and thank them and you always thank the pastor his wife and his children for this great opportunity I think that's proper etiquette what else did you say uh, so and while you're preaching all those things that you are mindful of things that you you shouldn't deal with or wrestle with or are preached I I appreciate holiness preaching and I think that we've got to be a generation that gets holiness preaching I think we need guys and gals that are gonna preach uh, separation and, and transformation that's apostolic but I think you have gotta be careful you gotta be careful you're not there to draw the line for that church uh, you're there just to lift up and encourage and emphasize and and support and that pastor may say I give you liberty, but when he says that he doesn't mean that. <laughs> and that's a dangerous thing, because trust me, uh, that liberty comes with a price. Yes, it does, and that price is called investment, and you don't have it, so you can't take it. And so just be very conscientious when you preach, lift up, encourage, and edify and help that church you're not beating them up you want to know what you call a uh... a sheet beater a woolly bully so don't be a woolly bully <laughs> don't be a woolly bully when you get up behind that pulpit and uh, make sure you support so as you're as you're preaching and uh... brother kilman talked about it you know how to preach a first slot a second slot um, when you finish when you finish preaching i think one of the greatest breaches of etiquette now there's been times where uh... i've preached with the flu there's been times i've preached sick as a dog uh... there's been times i've vomited i'm not trying to be gross in the bathroom and uh... i thought i i don't know if i can do this and i've had the help of the holy ghost walk up and preach here's what i'm trying to say don't let any little sniffle or any little runny nose or something make you cancel a service. If you physically can be there and minister, you man up or woman up and you get there and that pastor's depending on you. And so if you don't show up, he's got to preach and, and God knows there's a reason why he brought you in. He didn't feel like preaching that week and he may be fighting a battle and going through some stuff and needs you to be in that pulpit. And so you preach and then and then when you preach, you preach and you give every there's been times where I've preached, I have preached so hard and passionate that I literally had no physical strength at all and my wife drove the entire way home. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. Brother Kilman has done the same thing because when you're in that pulpit, you're giving, you give everything or you give nothing and you were asked to preach it. Don't be unprepared when you step behind a pulpit either. Uh, I had an MSA trip come and uh, I was a youth pastor, invited some IBC students in and they walked in the door and I knew this is gonna be a bad trip. It's gonna be a bad trip. And I'm I'm fixing to have to make a very uncomfortable phone call. I mean, they had just walked in the door, and the preacher walks up to me and starts apologizing because he's been so busy and worked so many hours and hadn't even had time to study and just didn't know. And you know what? I I was so close to saying, well, then you don't have any business stepping up in that pulpit. But I was young, and uh, I, I was forgiving and graceful, not so graceful, not so forgiving now, If it had been now, I'd have been preaching that Sunday. He didn't come back. He didn't come back. And and he got up, and you know what? He fell flat on his face. He bombed it. And you could tell he hadn't prayed, he hadn't studied, he hadn't put forth effort. Shame on them. Shame on him. You owe it. You owe it to God. You owe it to that pastor. You owe it to that congregation. You owe it to the other people on the MSA trip. You owe it to every one of your peers because you make them look bad as well as you look bad so you have you've slapped them in the face and you've disrespected them as well as the people that have brought you in and so you make sure you're prepared and so you give everything that you've got and when you're finished and you go out uh to eat you you be respectful he's not your dude he's not your bro he's not your homie he's not your friend at all he's a man of god they are to be respected you are to call them brother reverend sir Uh, always thank them for the meal you thank him thank you for for dinner thank you so much for your kindness thank you for for giving. thank you for spending time with us you'll never go wrong with thanking them for what they've given and what they've sacrificed and what they've done so never walk away from that table if you've eaten or if you had something to drink without thanking that pastor and pastor's wife and it's okay to thank them multiple times Uh, and so then i'll talk about an altar call now, an altar call is an art, by the way. It's an art. Uh, it's like building a sermon. You don't just get up and become a good uh, closer uh, for an altar call. It takes it takes intent. It takes purpose. Now, I, I'm not going to talk about homiletics, but uh, it, to build a sermon, Brother Kilman will get you. He'll get you situated on building a proper sermon, and I'll deconstruct how you build a proper sermon. Uh, so I'm not I'm not going against like your introduction or your body your points and your conclusion but here's here's the way you need to think Uh, build a right good sermon build it the correct way but i want you to think about your sermon in two parts in two parts only this is how you think about your sermon you have your introduction your introduction is part of you getting to know them and them getting to know you and so you start off, and you, you give your thanks to the pastor, and, and maybe tell a little bit about yourself, and, and then you give your Scripture text, and then you give... That's part of your introduction. And your introduction is going to be quick, and then you kind of get into the gist of where you're going in Scripture. I want you to think about that. My introduction is kind of like uh, my introducing myself to them and my topic to them. And then the second part, which will be the largest part of your sermon, is your close. So when you think about approaching that pulpit, you've got a very short introduction, and the rest of it is an altar call. That's how you have to think of a message, because there's one purpose to that sermon. That's conclusion. Someone say conclusion. Conclusion. Someone say application. Application. If you don't have application, you can't expect them to respond. The whole purpose you're preaching is to get them to do something, right? Right. And what do we get them to do? Come to the altar. Come to the altar. Now, there's, there's ways, and, and I don't even know if this is uh, what we should be discussing. I mean, uh, people have different feelings and opinions about it. I think probably the best way is just being led by the Spirit and allowing God to convict the heart and allowing God. But, but here's what you need to do. It's kind of like Pavlo's dog. You do prepare your congregation. Now, you, you don't have to agree with this, but, but this is what's effective. I'll just tell you what's effective. Preparing your congregation for the close. And so you prepare your congregation for the close by making statements that warn them that there's coming a moment very shortly that you're going to have to decide to do something with this message. And so you're going to say things like, uh, I'm, I'll be closing, in closing. Or you may say things like, uh, musicians, please make your way to the platform." Uh would everyone please stand. There's gonna be different cues that you can give, and what you're doing, you know it. We've been apostolic long enough. We kind of know, okay, he's getting ready to wind this thing down. Now you may do that 10, 15, maybe even 20 minutes, preparing that congregation to let them know there's going to be a conclusion here. And what you're what you're preparing them is movement. And movement takes place in the mind first before it takes place physically. So when you're Preaching that sermon, uh, you may even reference the time. I'm, I'm, I'm working my way to a close here. And Brother Kilwins taught you about silence and, and crutch words, and he's taught you about pauses. And, and when you make statements like that, you can pause a little bit because people will then begin to ready themselves for what's fixing to happen next. Um, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to wrap this up here. Or uh, I'm going to have the musicians go ahead and come and not play. Here's what happens in an altar call. If you don't tell them what is expected of them, they may never get it. There's some congregations that will not respond. They will not stand. They will not move. You cannot give an altar call for people that are setting like you're setting and expect them in just a few seconds to jump up, run to the front, and start speaking in tongues. You've got to prepare them. So you've got to get them acclimated to this idea. There may be some congregations that you actually have to get them out of the pew if you want an effective altar call. So there are times when you have to build that call into a sermon. It, your, your altar call shouldn't be like, oh, snap. I, I don't even know how I'm going to get them up here. Yeah, that's
1: right.
2: Man, I never even thought about this. How many ever had that idea when you're preparing a sermon, it's like, you can see it, and I'm going to say <laughs> this. And man, they're just going to be like, whoa, and people are going <laughs> to fall out and all of a sudden, so you're like ready because you can feel the goosebumps on the back and, and you're like, this is going to be amazing. And yeah, and then you're, you're preaching that sermon and there is dead, there's dead as a rock, and, but you're thinking, it's coming, <laughs> it's coming. And then you say it and, and, and they're still dead. And you're like, oh man, now I've got to give an altar call. I didn't even expect this. Well, shame on you. That entire message is for what? The altar call you're building that thing up for one element that is to get those people application it's application it's kind of what brother brown said you know we're we're big on inspiration but but we're not so good at at application right and and that's what the altar call is so everything that you're building is to get them to pray and sometimes you got to talk to them about what to pray for and so sometimes in that altar call while you're preaching that sermon you, you've got to spell it out. Somebody's got to come up here and pray for healing. And, and uh, if you've been depressed or down, uh, this is your altar call to come, and God will lift you up, pray for liberty. And so sometimes you have to tell them what to pray for. And then when you complete your appeal, you've got them moving forward. That's not the time to put down the microphone and walk away. And sit down and say that's a good sermon, wasn't it? No, no, no. That's not. That's just the beginning of the altar call. Here's what needs to happen: when you leave your Bible open and your notes open and that microphone right there, that's a statement, by the way. That pastor very rarely, unless he feels an urging of the Holy Ghost, will come up and take that microphone. You know what that means? I'm coming back. So if you've got something that you feel that I may want to say or need to say, you leave your Bible, your notes, and the microphone right there. Or you take the microphone with you. But it's not time to stop after you have get them to come forward. That's not the time to stop. Now's the time for you to work the altars. But here's the thing. When you get in that altar, it doesn't matter if you know what to say. You're not a prophet. And you don't have to prophesy over him. All you have to do is pray. Brother where he was here. Where does he go? Brother Sleva helped me and here's how he helped me I listened to how Brother Sleva prayed for people in the altar and you know what Brother Sleva would do Brother Sleva would simply every time he walks up to someone just about he'll say I want you to pray what I'm praying and he'll begin to pray prayers of repentance he'll begin to pray that God would help and before you know it that person that doesn't know how to pray will begin to mimic or pray exactly what you're saying now when you guys now here's what you need to do in an altar call you need to be careful about how you lay hands on people Okay, you need to be very careful if it's an elder if they're more than a couple years older than you you probably need to really rethink about putting your hand on their head and just giving them a good what for <laughs> because here's the thing you're taking spiritual authority over that person and you are establishing you're establishing yourself and it can come across offensive if you're not careful don't mess up somebody's hair if you can help it don't walk up to a lady that spent two hours on a hairdo and just smear it all that's that's disrespectful they're not gonna get anything out of it Uh, I mean you need to put a breath mint in you need to get you a drink of water but you need to make sure that you pray and you better lay hands if it's a young lady you guys and you feel compelled to pray for that young lady be careful how you pray you know what a good spot is uh, one of you young ladies, stand up. You know what a good spot is to pray for a young lady? All right, lift your hands up. It's a good place. If you're going to pray for a young, young man, if you're going to pray for a young lady and she's got her hands up in the air, it's a good safe spot right here. That's a good safe spot. Not, not like this. You don't need to go below the wrist because that could get a little uncomfortable. Put your hands up. You, you just grab their hand. You can pray for them, but you better be careful how you lay your hand on their head. I'm just saying it. I I don't know what Brother Kilman's guidelines are, but if it's a young, if it's a little girl, if it's a if it's a young, that's you can lay your hands. But if it's a lady, you need to be careful how you you just reach out and pray, put your hand. Now some some will say, well, you can put put your hand on their back. Well, I don't feel comfortable doing that. You thank you. Uh, and I don't think that you should get comfortable doing that, because that's kind of a more intimate touch. Uh, I, I wouldn't even walk up and put my hand on my sister-in-law's back to pray for her. and And that's family. I think it's just you need to be conscientious of how you're touching that individual. Uh, same with guys. Uh, now let me just tell you this. Uh, be careful how you put your hands on boys. I think you got to be careful. Work those altars. Get in that altar. Here, here's what's going to happen. If they've never prayed before, first of all, the greatest place for you to explain what prayer is and how to pray is in the altar. That's where they're the most receptive. They're, they're there wanting something from God. So they're going to listen to everything that you say. If they've never prayed, you got to tell them how to pray. Say, as I'm talking with you, this is what I want you to do to God. And so I I want you right now to, to ask God to forgive you. Bible says that if you repent, that simply means telling God everything that you've been a part of that you know is not right, that you know is sinful. You open up and you tell God everything, every hurt, every pain, and you lead them in repentance. And if you have to pray, what Brother Sleevett did, if you have to pray repentance, if you have to say, God, forgive me and wash me and purge me, God, take away all this sin and take out this junk I've done, every every word I said that's not right, and every action, then you repent right there. And make sure that they're speaking it out loud. I've never seen anybody get the Holy Ghost. And words not come out of their mouth and so once you leave and don't don't skimp on repentance here's what here's what we've got to stop doing we've got to stop getting them baptized immediately and we've stopped we've got to stop praying for them to get the Holy Ghost immediately if they've never repented they won't get the Holy Ghost if they haven't gotten sent out so don't rush them through repentance that's why some people it takes months or even years because they got a lot of stuff they got to repent of I believe that. So pray with them. Just let them pray. I've never, I've never had somebody that I was trying to rush through. Uh, I, I've never just had anyone that I was trying to push through, push through, push through, actually get the Holy Ghost that I can remember. But I've had all kinds of people that I'm just praying with them and they're repenting and crying and asking God, and then all of a sudden, it switches. It just happened. It's, what, it's a gift from God, but they'll never get the Holy Ghost. they will never have an opportunity if you're not working the altars and praying. Here's the other thing. Make sure that you pray, if you can, lay hands and pray for every person that's in that altar. But if you're not praying with one particular person, you lay hands on as many people as you can and pray for them. I know this wasn't an altar working thing, but that's kind of what an altar call is. It's application. It's application. So you're building. You're building. You're preaching, you're preaching, you're building, you're building, you're pulling. There it is. Now respond to it, respond to it. And the Holy Ghost, sometimes the Holy Ghost will be so strong in that place that you'll never even get to finish your message. People will just start coming. And those are the greatest moments you'll ever experience. But those may happen about one every thousandth time you preach. Maybe. I don't know what the statistics are. It hardly ever happens. So, never anticipate that. You always anticipate, I've got to get them to that altar so that they can apply everything that I've preached on and everything the preacher before me has preached on, they can apply that to their life. Because that's the entire purpose of them being in service. That's what we want to happen. That's results. It's results. You know what old timers used to say? When I was a kid, we'd have revivals. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had revivals like this. We'd have revival, and it would be five nights a week, sometimes six nights a week. You you were lucky if you got Saturday off, if you're lucky. And you know what would happen after we'd end the revival on Sunday night? pastor would get up and say, bless God. I felt God just speak to me, and we're going to continue it again next week. I've been in six-week revivals. I've been in six-week revivals. And I'm telling you, it's tough. And I don't know how that preacher preached, but he got up every night and preached his guts out and and pulled people to that altar. And in one of those altars, God changed the altar calls in a six-week revival. God changed my life, and I experienced a liberty in the Holy Ghost that I had never experienced. I was almost 21 years of age, and I danced until I was slain in the Spirit. And an hour later, I came out of it, and God had taken me on a journey. And it was the most profound thing that had ever happened in my life and so you never know what's going to happen but that will only take place if you're building that altar call and you're building for people to come to that front and you minister to them pray for those people pray for them if if you're at a place and and uh, and this is embarrassing but they may come and get you and they'll say would you come pray and here's the thing they're not expecting you to perform a miracle they're not they're just expecting you to take time to plead the blood upon that individual And whatever God wants to do, God will do. And if God leads you to pray for something specific, then you pray for something specific. But also pray this, God, don't let me be confusion. Don't let me be confusion. Don't let me harm this young person. That's a valuable asset to the kingdom of God. And sometimes your prayers can mess them up. And so please be careful. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm not trying to make you apprehensive. But that altar call is a special moment between that individual and God. And you want to be an asset, not a hindrance to it. Amen. All right. I can't think of anything else to say. I was going to read some scripture.
0: Indiana Bible College has three major courses of study, biblical studies, worship studies, and our newest major, missiology. For more information about these, visit indianabiblecollege.org. Indiana Bible College, training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today.